0: This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory.
1: Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim
2: Eccles. And thank you, Scott Slade. You're listening to Energy Matters, and we've got a great show for you today. We want to help you save money, use technology, live a more sustainable life i've got my co-host in studio today former representative john noel john you're just back from china you went to korea not too long ago so what's it like in china now where were you at and what were you doing
3: Uh, i was in shenzhen actually and then took a a trip up to Guangdong. we uh i was really looking for uh looking for the new technologies Kind of like the United States, China really pioneers that stuff, and uh, unlike us, unfortunately, manufactures it. And uh, so I was over there looking for good manufacturers to build things. So, what product exactly are you working on, if you can tell us? Uh, mostly LED lighting, but I, I had a uh, I have a new innovation uh, to to go after uh, gas lights. So the idea, you know, you see these gas lights burning gas all the time in the middle of the day why can't we innovate on that? we got good solar technology now. We have excellent LED technology. We have the ability to sort of mimic the looks better. LEDs so advanced in that regard. I've decided I want to build a gas fixture, so I met with some manufacturers over there who actually do that. There just aren't manufacturers in the U.S. that do it, uh, and so hopefully we can come up with an innovative solution that cuts down on carbon emissions, saves people money. Later on in the show, I want to ask you about LED color and mm and
2: what consumers can do to make sure they're, they're getting the right color. color. Let me bring in a couple of other voices uh, in our studio today. Justin Breitharp uh, is here. He's going to be here in the la- later part of the show. I want to let him say hello, though. Works for CTE in Atlanta, and we'll talk more about that later in the second half hour of the show. Hey, hey Justin. How's it going? Good morning. Good. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for coming over from Atlanta today, and we're looking forward to hearing about your great work with electric vehicles. Excited to be here. Yeah. And David Gaddy, uh, Dr. David Gaddy, we'll call you Dr. Doctor Gaddy, I guess, the Associate Professor of Engineering at UGA, um, my alma mater. Actually, I'm a triple dog. Did you know that, Dave? I was I, a triple dog. I knew it well. Yeah. I did. I did. So, uh, of course, none of my degrees really are any kind of hard science that that would help me really as a commissioner. One's in English, one's in nonprofit organizations. Phys Ed. Uh, not phys ed okay Uh, i thought about doing the underwater basket weaving but uh but uh, i i then went with the grady college and got a pr degree but it does help to get elected Uh, it apparently has for you yeah it, it has you're also the resident fellow for the center of international trade and security what's that about
4: uh, that's a program. It was started probably about twenty or thirty years ago, Tim, and it's focused. It pretty much speaks for itself. It's a center that looks at international trade and security issues. And right now, as you can see, that we, you know, particularly with regard to trade with countries like Russia and China and others like that, those are high level security issues. So that program started about thirty years ago. The fellow's name was Gary Bursch, and it's been going real strong. It's made a lot of contributions in that space.
2: You know, China's all in the news. John just getting back from there. I was over there yeah. in May, and one of the comments that uh, that was made to me by uh, by a large U.S. Uh, corporation is just how China negotiates to keep the technology. Right? Yep. They allow you to uh, build a couple of the the widgets, uh, but then you have to turn everything over to them. Is that a concern uh, to the U.S.?
4: Uh, It it is a concern, and it's also uh, discouraging a lot of international cooperation. But even in the space that we'll probably talk about here in just a little bit in the energy space that y'all are interested in, it's also a little bit discouraging, and it, it doesn't really bode well for having outside uh, collaborations with other countries. I think if you Google or look up Germany, they are particularly su- susceptible. Some things that that China has been doing with some of their their bigger companies, bigger industries. You know, mm-hmm. we
2: from Shanghai, yeah. we took that Maglev train back to the airport, and uh, I was on the train with an engineer, and he said, "Yeah, this was a German. You know, this was a German project. They had been promised to do these Maglev trade tra- uh, trains all over China." But the Chinese uh, had them build that train to the airport, and then cancel the contracts on the others. And then the Chinese had it. The, they, they had the technology. John, you're seeing yeah. you seeing that yeah. kind of thing on all forms of technology, or is it is it just the really super high tech stuff?
3: Uh, my my world is so isolated to the energy efficiency space and LED that I I can speak to that, and I do see it. And uh, I even think about this new fixture I want to innovate and do, and I recognize that the minute, and as I'm meeting with these people, I'm looking at them going, you're going to build this fixture and you're going to sell it outside of me like there's no protection. In my particular case, I actually don't care because I think it I think it's important for that technology to get out there and to proliferate kind of like the Elon Musk model. He gives away all his patents. Um, sometimes it's important to do it, but I've I've also seen lots of knockoffs of US products. I mean, you walk through the electronics markets so and you're like, "What?" that's this and that's that and it's a whole chinese thing they've rebranded it and and copied it they're a culture of copying and uh we've got to figure out how to work with that
2: yeah david when i was over there i went to haiyang and saw the reactors uh the westinghouse ap1000s that we're building they've already they've already finished them they've got two on the grid and two more and you know i'm sitting there scratching my head how did they do these so quickly and You know i guess it was good news in the sense that we know the technology works right so they're not having any problem with it uh so that's good news and it gave me hope that we can finish but i was just a little discouraged that they were that they were so far ahead of us
4: well they have a kind of a push button economy over there tim it's it's um long down the road we're hoping that their their norms and standards for safety and other things that we're most concerned about here, that they're adhering to those things. But when you have a push-button economy, everything's state-owned like it is in China. They push buttons and things get done. Over here, we're a little bit more methodical and meticulous and careful to details, and we just are going to make sure that they're doing the same th- – hopefully they're doing the same thing over there.
2: You know, while we're on this topic of nuclear power, I want to just jump into, into this because there's three misconceptions that I've asked you to, to kind of share with our audience today. Uh, about nuclear power, and you know, what would you say would be the the biggest misconception?
4: Probably, well, probably the biggest one comes from the nuclear waste. I hear a lot of folks oftentimes, in when when I'm traveling around talking about nuclear power and energy policy in particular, they talk about the massive stockpile of nuclear waste. For one thing, and Tim, I think you'll agree with me on this, and I hate to refer to it as waste. It's actually uh, very rich in in unused energy. There's still a lot of energy in that. But the nuclear waste associated with nuclear power plants is actually pretty small. I think the back of the envelope calculation usually is if you took all the waste in the world, you could put it in a football field 12 feet deep, that kind of thing. So it's not like the nuclear waste is just piled up and scattered all over the world. It's really not that much waste. It's very well handled on the plant sites in the U.S., I think one of the other things is that folks are oftentimes they oftentimes conf- they think that nuclear power plants can explode like a bomb like an atomic bomb huh. um n- not really they're not even designed the same way they're, the technology for a uh, for an atomic weapon and a nuclear power plant are, are nowhere close to one another
2: now, let me turn to john john, uh, john um nuclear energy has been around for you know a while in the U.S., it's 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 definitely come to in terms of the new plants. They've come to, uh, you know, just a crawl with Georgia doing this. Uh, you know, as you think about this, put your put your democratic hat on now. No. You
3: know, uh, I leave it on. By yeah, the way. But,
2: okay, yeah. 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 So so w- with that hat on, how, how do you feel like Democrats feel about nuclear energy in the U.S. right now?
5: Ah,
3: what well, depends on if you're a business Democrat or you're a environmental Democrat, and sometimes people are both. But uh, I th- I think the environmental side uh, disagrees with my friend uh, Dr. Gaddy over here, and and thinks that the uh, nuclear uh, waste component is more substantial because a little dabble do you when it comes to nuclear waste, unlike a lot of other stuff. But, I, but on the business side, I see a lot of people say, well, you know, maybe it's it's got to make business sense. The, 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 the economics of this have to work. What about from a clean energy perspective? I mean, President that, Obama... That's fair. Yeah.
2: Pre- President Obama's uh, energy czar, I was up there with uh, Commissioner McDonald in the White House, I guess it was in 2013, and the energy czars said that uh, they couldn't reach their 80% clean energy goal by 2050 without the reactors... The new ones that were yeah. planned and the existing ones. I mean, is that something you would still
3: agree with? It. it I, I. I. think it's a valid point. Uh, and I was at a. I was at a conference where Al Gore spoke uh, just a few months ago, and Gore said, "Look, I come from a state of Tennessee where Oak Ridge was the was the you know the research area. I'm not necessarily anti-nuclear. Uh, yeah. So here are the here's the clean energy guys saying there maybe nuclear has to have a piece of this uh, energy puzzle. Um, and and and. Maybe so, but it has to make economic sense.
2: You know, I want to go to Justin here. He's not expecting this question, but that's part of the fun of the show is the spontaneity. Um, Justin, you're a millennial. The rest of us here aren't millennials. Um, How do you feel like millennials view high technology, like advanced technology, like nuclear power? Is this something that you, you, you get a sense from talking with the average millennial that you interact with, that they... Uh, are okay with it or is this something that you know they want to see go away in the US
0: um i will say i can't speak for all millennials but um i guess from my background i've gotten to learn about nuclear cuz for a brief stint in college i was a physics major so i got to uh at least learn like surface level and it is similar to what john was saying that there is still that split it, it could be used as a transition energy to other clean sources in the future, mm-hmm. but um, it is still that misconception that what's in the nuclear power plant can explode. Um, there's still some stigma against Three Mile Island and mm-hmm. other disasters that yeah. have happened in the yeah. past. Fukushima. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. Well, David, uh, in our last one minute here, uh, can you give me that last misconception that people have about nuclear energy?
4: So I think the last one would be that we can actually replace nuclear power with other alternatives and still you know, maintain the same characteristics. For one thing, mm-hmm. that's one of the shortcomings with regard to renewables is you're just not going to get the, the, the straight-up substitution yes, renewables for, for nuclear.
3: Welcome back to Energy Matters. Support for this half hour of Energy Matters comes from the Georgia Solar Energy Association. Georgia Solar helps consumers decide how to access solar energy in a way that saves them money on their power bills and reduces their environmental footprint. They help them find skilled solar professionals they can trust and provide guides to evaluate solar options. See more at gasolar.org.
2: Thank you, John, and thank you, Georgia Solar. David, you ended our last segment talking about renewables and nuclear power and as I travel around the world I'm hearing more people talk about Marketing these two together. Can you tell us a little bit more about your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, Tim, it's a it's a good point. And actually, as I travel and talk about it, it's talked nuclear and renewables are talked about together really for bad and good reasons. The bad reasons is almost an either or. That is, it's one or the other. We either have to have renewables or we go with with nuclear. I think it's an and. We've got to have both. That is, we need to build out our renewable capacity, particularly here in Georgia on solar. But we're going to need a, a, a base load energy resource to do that, to, to you know, to stand up those intermittent resources until some kind of battery technology really steps up and can handle it. I don't want that base load to just be coal, and it's not going to be natural gas. The natural partner for renewables long-term is zero emission, nuclear power, base load, and it's 93% annual capacity factor. They're natural partners. So it's good to hear that they're being talked about together. I just hope that we can get away from this unnecessary battle that we have pitted these two against each other. It doesn't need to be one or the other. It needs to be both.
2: Yeah, John, in an upcoming show, we're going to be having... The folks from 100% renewable from Athens, and I'm hearing more and more cities get out there and make this commitment to their, to their constituents and their citizens. Well, is good going, reason. Yeah, we're going to do 100% renewable. I sure wish it was 100% clean, as opposed to actually saying renewables, because to Dr. Gaddy's point, uh, if you say renewables, are you excluding nuclear power from that?
3: Most people would, yes. That's true. Yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, I feel
2: like I feel like some of these cities are they're kind of painting themselves into a corner here and I just wonder if they're going to be able to be able to you know fulfill these promises even with batteries.
3: Uh, well, wow, where do you go? I mean, uh, off uh, off the rails, John. That's some where is go. well off the rails is our current administration denying climate change exists and getting out of the Paris Accord, and that is what has drawn us and these other cities into just desperation moves to try and make an impact. It's like, well, our country isn't going to make an impact, so what happens? Corporate corporate and business steps up. What happens? Cities, progressive cities, and cities that care, like Athens and Atlanta, step up. So there are people that are stepping up while our country and our and our government has stepped down.
2: But the but the clean energy adults in the room, mm. Germany and yep. California yep. are both focusing more on decarbonizing transportation now. They're they're not saying the hundred percent renewable. They're they've shifted to another area mm. and do you feel like that that, that these cities are, are getting out ahead of themselves on this? I mean, shouldn't they be focusing on transportation? I, you know, I just,
3: I, I, and, and, and I, it, it, I, I, maybe we have time for the conversation. I I tend to believe that we have enough efficiency. Solar is just getting so much more efficient. Batteries getting so much more efficient. Example: the Tesla I bought is now that same battery capacity, actually more battery capacity is half the cost. And, and that's in a span of three and a half years, so if that happens and that kind of trajectory continues, isn't it possible that that 500 megawatts that uh, Georgia Power wants to build could be a tied to a battery pack, and that eventually solar and batteries could become the base load? That's my hope. And I think time's on our side, and I think all the existing nuclear that we have, rightfully so as base load, can, can kind of bridge the gap. I just don't know that we need new nukes. Well, okay.
4: Uh, granted, point taken, here's here is my here's one of my fundamental concerns. I I'm on the right side of the political aisle. I'm on the conservative side. Fair enough, I'm on the other side. I, yeah, and you, and it's great tension. It's, yeah, it's necessary tension. Poor old Justin's in the middle here. Justin, really, yeah, but can
3: he so feel the heat?
4: I'm one of those who's on the right side yeah. who's also concerned about climate change. This is one of the reasons that I got my so, man. that I got so locked into yep. being concerned. On top of the national security issues associated mm-hmm. with nuclear, mm-hmm. John, when we look at climate change, which is global climate, it's not local climate change or U.S. climate. It's global. Amen. We can look at. The the, the CO2 emission curves, which is going up. We can look at coal consumption. It's going up. And it's going up in in East Asia, in Asian economies. And it's because they're they're building coal plants. Mm. My concern with the attention being focused strictly on what cities are doing in the U.S. Mm. is that if those technologies and solutions don't map into developing economies, Mm. we aren't Attacking climate change, we're not battling global climate change. Mm-hmm. I think we're making ourselves feel like we're doing something, but it's not working at the global scale because that CO two emissions curve is increasing, and mm-hmm. it's coal mm-hmm. because of coal. That's interesting.
2: I mean, John, isn't it true that if you're, you know, if you're if you're California and you shut down a nuclear power plant uh, and oh, yeah, yeah. replace uh, it with you know, maybe a natural gas plant. Are you actually going backwards? Or what about efficiency? Backwards? I
3: mean, that's the other thing. I mean, backwards from
2: a climate. Perspective. We're not.
3: We're not. We don't just have to look at it as new generation, and that's perhaps that's the conservative uh, way of, of thinking of it. Well, we got to have new generations. always the economy is always going to grow. We're in a new paradigm where the economy can grow, and we can grow efficiency, and and that's the thing. The effic- efficiency is the next power plant. We. I mean, we're in the south. Baby, we're we're this is this is the land of TVA and cheap power. Shouldn't it have been the first power plant? <clears throat> it should have been the first power plant. Yeah, it should have been.
2: I mean, we get it backwards. We think right. we should do solar and then energy efficiency. But as we're going to hear, you know, from some other guests coming up in the second half hour of of our show, energy efficiency should be job one for everybody. No for question. Home.
3: And everybody, the solar professionals tell you this. They want to sell solar and you house. to come to your house and say. Wait a minute, you got a really 20-year-old air conditioning system, and you got no insulation upstairs, and all this sort of stuff. Do that stuff, you'll you'll reduce your energy consumption by half. You don't even need the solar system. But if you add it, then suddenly you're off the grid.
2: David, let's go back to something conservatives are very interested in, and that is national security. And I've written a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal about it. You've written about it. Why is nuclear energy tied to national security, in your opinion?
4: Because it is, it's an original American technology, team. This is something that the U.S. developed back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And we owned the nuclear power space in the 20th century. It was ours. We were the global leaders. We did that by design. That is, there is going to be a nuclear fuel, nuclear technology cycle with the U.S. or without.
2: And was that the military that did that?
4: Uh, the Navy, n- not or, or was it? No, uh, no, no, not back then. Civilians? That was that was U.S. industry mm-hmm. that was doing this. I mean, right. the the Navy had its had its space where they were working, of course, with U.S. industry to develop the the you know the nuclear Navy, and of course the military weaponry. But I'm talking about the civilian nuclear sector in particular. That that nuclear cycle of technology and fuels that we are rightfully John concerned about globally. That is that is uh, concern number one, is to make sure that that nuclear fuel cycle is controlled by friendly people. Just ask Sam Nunn. Hey, let Georgia's me go back zone. to something Justin said yeah. in,
2: in the earlier segment. Justin said that he used to be a physics, a physics major. Uh, and, and my theory is that kids that are involved with STEM education in, in high school or college that are taking a heavy load of science – that they are less fearful of nuclear energy than, say, a history major like John was or an English major like I was. I mean, you teach students at UGA in engineering. Are they afraid of nuclear energy?
4: When they start my class, probably 90% of them are. When they get through with the class, they're ready to build plants. Wow. Wow, that's some serious Kool Aid. Yep. They're also, well, but see, and John, you know, the cynicism, the, the cynicism actually is killing us yeah. because they're also ready to build solar plants and wind turbines. Yeah. And they are very excited about efficiency, the things that you're talking about. That is a what shift. What we that's have a to be yeah. able to do is to stop telling these young folks that it's one or the other, mm-hmm. that one's better. I'll go back Maybe to my point. Maybe we should have
2: John audit one of your courses. Or These something. things have John, to again
4: map into, have to develop, <laughs> map into developing economies. They have to develop, map into developing economies. John, or climate change is not going to be whipped mm. by the by the U.S. alone with efficiency or solar panel. We need big solutions for big problems in those countries.
2: Hey, we have got just another minute with Dr. Gaddy, and I, I can't not talk about Plant Vogel. For just a just a minute, and I know John would oh. love to talk about this oh. for an hour, but best thing Dr. going Dr. in Georgia. Gaddy, right let now. me just ask you: What is at stake <laughs> if Georgia doesn't finish the plant?
4: If we don't finish, yeah, if the we plant, don't
2: finish the plant. If we just cancel it, like South Carolina
4: did, there um, we will probably have about a seventy percent natural gas energy portfolio. Uh, that sounds like a disaster. We'll also um, be setting ourselves up for some sort of. Uh, We'll have a problem down there. Politically, carbon, John, is going to be constrained. It's either going to be taxed or regulated. Somehow CO2 is going to be taxed or regulated. It's a political inevitability. We will have lost our most valuable hedge against that, Tim, if Vogel doesn't get built, because we will build gas plants. We're closing coal plants. Coal's I'll I'll just guess that it's for the most part without carbon capture technology. It's dead in the U.S. We're closing coal plants. You know that better than I do. So we will build gas plants. That's what we'll do. So
2: John, Uh John, Uh in twenty seconds, if you were president, Hmm. right, would you enact a a carbon tax? I mean, would that be a part of your agenda? It would be.
3: Yeah, it would be. At this point, I mean, I you know, politically, it's dangerous as heck to say but it has to be. What's your objective in doing that? What is your purpose? To use a business a
4: way to solve a problem. To, to do what? To do what we're already doing? Reduce CO2 emissions? Bingo.
2: Well, we're going we're gonna to leave it at that uh, as we wrap up this half hour of Energy Matters. Stick around. We are going to talk more about energy efficiency and how to save money uh, at your home. You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm your host, Tim Eccles.
0: This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Georgia Solar Association.
3: Welcome back to Energy Matters. Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. For nearly seven decades, Arnold, Golden, and Gregory has established a strong record of helping growing enterprises become industry leaders. Today, their team of attorneys who practice in more than 25 areas of law continues to expand AGG's reputation for helping public and private companies successfully grow their businesses. AGG is committed to staying on the leading edge of new developments that affect clients' industries and business strategies. They're ready to help a new generation of emerging companies achieve success. We appreciate their weekly support of Energy Matters.
2: Great. Thanks, John Noel, my co-host, former state representative, resident of Atlanta. In the studio with us uh, also is Justin Breithart. He's the Associate Project Manager for the Center for Transportation and the Environment. Welcome back. Thank
0: you. Glad to be back.
2: And also in the studio, Cyrus Bedwar. Cyrus is the Policy Director for the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance, and it's great having you chime in uh, here today. Great to be with you today. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Energy efficiency is such an important part of energy plants and planning, and uh, we want to make sure that we're continually talking about that. So we want to include your voice on this john you've got energy efficiency stuff done at your house oh man what are some of the things you've done well, what, you remember yeah, that the,
3: soup Nazi stuff? I mean, the guy who's really draconian on everything? Yeah. I'm that guy. I'm the Nazi on energy efficiency. I, I normally everything. don't like
2: to say the word Nazi, like, ever in any kind of context, but right. what does that mean, soup Nazi? Uh,
3: <laughs> it means uh, just somebody who's very uh, uh, certain and doctrinaire about things. Yeah, I, but you're I,
2: not in any way supporting the Nazi agenda or
3: anything uh, like no, that. No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, I No, that's correct. I, 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 I do not see... Uh, energy efficiency as something that I would uh, that I would miss an opportunity yeah. to do.
2: So you've got batteries, you got those Tesla batteries. Man,
3: I'm I'm sitting here looking at the update right now. So sun's out in Atlanta, house is juicing up yeah. completely off the grid.
2: Yeah. So you've got uh, solar panels.
3: Solar panels.
2: Yeah. You collect your rainwater.
3: I collect the rainwater. I collect the dehumidification uh, water out of the basement, and uh, when the air conditioner's running, I'm I'm watering plants from it. Wow.
2: Well let me go back to Justin Uh, Justin you work for the Center for Transportation and the environment and I know that the city of Atlanta is making a lot of progress you had spent time as a fellow for the city and working on electric vehicles the electric vehicle fellow so how important was that experience in Atlanta uh, in the mayor's office to preparing you uh, for your job
0: today Um, it was very critical So, uh, my degree was in environmental geosciences, so I didn't really have any background. Where did you go to school? Georgia State University. Uh So, I'm a proud Panther, although I do respect UGA. Um, Wow,
3: you're a politician, too. You're covering all the bases. Yeah, you're
2: actually (laughs) inside the bulldog bubble, and everything's red and black here. I hate to tell you, but that's okay. Uh, It's fine.
3: The gentleman has a red sweater on. We'll give you you a shout
0: out. Well,. Uh, CTE,
2: what's the focus and mission of CTE?
0: To improve the transportation sector's efficiency and sustainability. What does that mean, like practically? Practically, so 99% of CTE's portfolio is deploying zero-emission buses. So we work with transit agencies, cities, counties all over the country uh, with four offices, the main one being here in Atlanta. And then uh, three others in St. Paul, Minnesota, Berkeley, California, and Los Angeles, California. Are,
2: are buses the low-hanging fruit for decarbonizing transportation? Would you say?
0: Yes, it's the um, it's that lowly-hanging fruit. Just about every jurisdiction has that. Even within the state of Georgia, we have uh, Carta serving North Georgia. We have Macon, mm-hmm. um, Savannah, and so, and not to mention Serta and MARTA. And so by targeting those buses, it's confined, you can do great uh, research, because CTE also focuses on research and simulations with these deployments. And so when uh, when these agencies or cities come to CTE, they get data, we, they get um, research, and they, we let them know, is this feasible? Is this going to work for you? And we'll say yes or no, depending on what the data finds.
2: Yeah. I mean, MARTA's already converted all those buses to natural gas. Are y'all recommending that they that that Flip they them out of that. Uh, get yeah. out of the natural gas, or wait till the license expires on the on the engines and then replace them, or what? What's the, what's the plan with MARTA? Good don't, question. Uh, don't yeah. they have hundreds of buses?
0: Well, right. I'm not sure if CT has a um, like a big active project with MARTA, but what we would do is we would work with MARTA to see what their current fleet is, because I believe MARTA does that what, 75% CNG. It's huge, and so and I think we should recognize that that's still low emission. Mm-hmm. But um, what CT would do is look at the rest of the fleet, see how compared also to CG. It's cost, as well. though. I mean, it's 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 very cap, capital intensive, right? And I and and it's a you have to look at all the parameters. Mm-hmm. And when uh, so CT would go in, look at these uh, the rest of the fleet and see if it meets the operational needs, which routes work, and so. Um, I mean, and that's what we do, we will go to the the fleet, we will ride on their buses with what we call these GPS data loggers. There's an app on the iPhone called Bad Elf, B-A-D-E-L-F. Oh my god,
3: that's hilarious.
0: And we will go through, it will tell us um, altitude, speed, throughout, and it takes it by second by second. And We filter through that data, all the routes, and then that's how we let you know, by doing simulations, if that route is feasible based off of a spec that you already have or current electric um, zero-emission buses that are on the market.
2: So you mentioned the phrase, will it work? I mean is that part of what you learn when you work for the city of Atlanta? That whole will it work device, those gizmos? Tell us about those gizmos and how that work that y'all put in the car to determine whether this service car or this service truck could be replaced with an electric vehicle.
0: Uh, So you're referring to, um, so when I was at the city when you're doing zero-zero emission vehicles, you have to work really closely with your the electric utility. And so, for the City of Atlanta, that's Georgia Power. Um, Georgia Power has a service. Uh, Will it work? And we also utilized um, a service through the Electrification Coalition, who funded my position at the city, and uh, to determine with the Department of was, I Think with the Department of Watershed which vehicles were good candidates to mm-hmm. transition mm-hmm. to electric vehicles. Um, that data was very critical and it's actually still being used
3: today on the DOE grant that CTE is managing that the city of Atlanta is a part of. So what installations have the capability to be able to charge lots of big vehicles because you gotta have all that capacity at whatever service location that these vehicles are at? And then you gotta find out that those vehicles are actually able to only do the hundred and fifty miles of range that they might have or something like that. Is that the idea?
0: Right. Yeah. But okay. with the one of the, the will at work was which gas vehicles would be good candidates? Uh, yeah, and so um, there are about fifty vehicles, and forty of those were selected as good candidates why for not, electric. Vehicles. Why not trash trucks? Trash trucks make a They're little more big, sense. They can handle batteries. Well, there's no not really a lot of existing zero emission trash trucks right now. That's more of a CNG market. Oh, and so actually, DeCab is a good um, is a good uh, case study for it. So their fleet manager, uh, Robert Gordon, he lo- his tag is from. Trash to gas to cash, because DeKalb County will take the methane from their landfills, use it straight into their trucks. So they're already we gotta saved. have that guy on. That'd be cool. So much money yeah. saved right there. Yeah. using um, something that's I, I don't know
3: how local you can get than using the landfill already there. Right. So he picks up the trash, dumps it in the landfill. Landfill creates the gas. He burns the gas. Yes, that's and what and I'm saves talking about.
2: Money. Yeah. So, so let me turn to Cyrus here, uh, just for a quick second. I know that you know you're not necessarily focused on uh, focused on uh, you know electric vehicles per se, uh, but you guys have a lot of folks in your organization driving mm-hmm. electric vehicles. You do talk about it. Do you see it as kind of a a sister technology going with energy efficiency? How does it relate to energy efficiency?
6: Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the interesting things I learned about electric vehicle drivers is that they become more conscious of their energy use, right? Because they have that. More Bingo. finite yep. range uh, that they have to be cognizant of. They have fewer options to recharge than uh, gas combustion uh, engine drivers. Um, so they become more aware of their energy use, and and we have found that that translates into their home. They become more aware of their home energy use too. So that helps with efficiencies for sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, you know,
2: I often say about these electric vehicles, and Justin, you've heard me say this at conferences we've been at, that they're a tutor that they teach people about energy management. I mean, how important, Cyrus, is it to think about energy, uh, you know, in order to save money? Is it Can can you just wait until the bill comes, or or do you feel like it requires a little more effort than that?
6: I think we are at a a place where uh, you still do have to do that, Um, but it's clear that there's emerging technology to help uh, customers with that and to make it more uh, uh, thought-free. So, you know, John was looking at his phone to understand what was going on in his home. We're all glued to our phones uh, 24-7 these days, and uh, so more and more apps are providing consumers with information about how they're consuming energy and enabling them to make Decisions about and one that.
3: free one I've noticed is George Power. They, they'll just send you a little email every day and say what's your energy consumption right. the day before, and you can go, gosh, darn, that hair dryer burned too long. Right, but my my Nest app,
6: right? You know, I can if I leave the house, uh, I can uh, I can turn that thermostat down if I've forgotten to do it before I leave. So that's that's real time.
2: Well, Justin, just in this last uh, few seconds of this segment, let me ask you about. You know maybe a final lesson that you learned uh, from the city of Atlanta that you felt like you've carried into your new job
0: um, a lesson that I've learned and I think that still learning is effectively communicating environmental issues and solutions. It seems that when you talk about the environment, it's, it has this negative connotation now mm. but we all utilize it in some form of fashion. I think what ways that we can learn from it is, finding those connections with people within their own personal lives to actually come up with good solutions that tackle this global issue that we're fighting, which is climate change.
2: You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm your host, Tim Eccles. And when we get back, I'm going to ask Justin to talk about the experience that we had in the cab line down at the Atlanta airport as we evaluated the types of vehicles that came in and out of the city and what we learned about about. The possibility for electric vehicles picking up with ride-sharing cabs in the future. Stay tuned. You're listening to Energy Matters. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host. We want to help you save money. We want to help you use technology and live a more sustainable lifestyle. On this show. In the studio with me, my co-host, John Noel, former state representative, and uh, knows all things about energy, having batteries and solar and electric vehicles. And Justin Breithart, uh, who's the uh, associate project manager for the Center for Transportation and the Environment in Atlanta, and Cyrus Bedwar. Policy Director for the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance. Good to have you guys back. Let me start with Justin. Justin, as I promised in our last segment, I want our audience to hear about this experience that you and I had down on the sidewalk outside of uh, the uh, terminal, kind of facing the the cab line and the West Economy parking lot. Uh, you know, what did we what did we do, and what did we learn about? The, the cab fleet for Atlanta.
0: Yeah. So we, I think you picked me up from City Hall. We drove down to the airport and we stood outside. It was pretty nice out, so it wasn't too bad. And counting taxis, counting what the make and model was, how many mm. passengers were getting in. And the idea behind this was, I believe you were telling us, because you, I think you went to Portland and they had an electric taxi program. And so we were trying to see if that was possible here in Atlanta. I think we counted about over 100 taxis, but 50% vans, 18% Crown Victorias, some older vehicles, 1.7 passengers per vehicle. Uh, and I, and I, want to re- I want to point out the one thing, I don't know if you remember this, but there was one gentleman when he was waiting, he actually waited for a hybrid. I think it was a Toyota Prius that pulled up. So he actually went in the line he, and he waited till one came in.
2: And out of those 115 vehicles, there were only three Priuses out of 115 vehicles and actually it was it was not only portland but seattle seattle Mm. city council had changed their law and said that if you are picking up at the airport in a cab or a ride share that it had to be at least a hybrid or better and so one of the things that i really want to accomplish you know as a leader even though it's not in the psc's jurisdiction john is to see this happen, and you want to advocate yeah. for for good stuff, yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know. Have you been to you been to Seattle, uh, or have you yeah. ever ridden yeah. in a, a hybrid cab? I or? have actually
3: been to Seattle, and. I, Surprise of surprises! Great public transportation from out of the city, and reading press recently that that talked about uh, the natural gas conversion that occurred years and years ago of that fleet, and of this uh, of this of this of this decree by the city that said, hey, all the contracts we're going to have are only going to allow uh, picking up uh, of long-range vehicles. So it doesn't have to be an electric vehicle, but it has to be a high-efficiency vehicle. You have to meet this threshold. Yes, And people aren't doing it here in Atlanta, and I think it's an easy step that the city of Atlanta could do. I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you made the point. I think it's incumbent on private citizens, not just public ones, to, uh, to advocate for that.
2: You know, I, I had a cab company, Atlanta Checkered Cab, an old cab company in Atlanta. I was able to get two Nissan Leafs donated to them. They were 2012s. They had them wrapped uh, in green. Uh, and they attempted to integrate those into their cab activities, and it was it was very difficult. And they didn't run them at the airport because those 2012 leaves had the low, you know, the the you know the low battery uh, in the sense that it was a smaller battery mm-hmm. than the 13, and they those cabs only had a range of about 50 miles, so it just wasn't feasible. But one of the things that we tried to do uh, as as those vehicles were donated, and we tried to get other cab companies, was asking the city if they would allow those cars to be painted green or a different color to designate, right. Right. Uh, so that a, a, a fare there waiting to get in a car go, oh no, I, I want that, I want that electric car. But mm-hmm. we, you know, we've struggled with that, Justin, didn't we? Uh, being able to get the city to make these changes. I mean, do you think it, you know, Atlanta's just not ready for this yet, or I mean. You know what? What's it going to take for us to be able to make that kind of change? You think?
0: Um, it's a political process, and I think what we can do on our end is education, and and I think it's important to note the the reason why we were doing this is so the Atlanta metro area is a non attainment for NOx, NOx emissions, and those emissions come from vehicles, and. And that's part of the reason why we do this, and those emissions contribute to poor air quality, they contribute to asthma problems. And and I think that's why we, we have to make sure we educate people why we're doing what we're doing um, and help come up with solutions and ideas, not just say, well, this is what we should do, actually be through every step of that process to make sure that it's, it's efficient, it's cost-effective, it's good for the environment, and that it benefits all people.
2: You know, John, he mentioned political process and i mean you've been in the legislature i'm an elected official and you know some people are cynical about the political process they mm-hmm. don't they don't see the incremental aspect of it i mean you've been there does it still discourage rick you know uh, exasperate you that things can't be just snapped and changed uh, or is this just a reality
3: it exasperates me and uh, that's why I. I have stood and will stand in in the future for election because I think it's important to beat people if 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 you're if you're a potential candidate as I am and will be and that kind of thing and other people may just want to advocate for the back sidelines let's go beat or in justice case advocate for the people who are standing in the way advocate advocate to them that they should change that policy or if they won't change that policy go whip them in the polls you know
2: one of the one of the reasons that I love the fact that we have lots of cities and lots of elected city councils and lots of elected mayors and that even our offices like public service commission, insurance commissioner, labor, labor commissioner, all these are elected positions. Mm-hmm. I've heard people call for these things to be appointed, but I I I will always favor uh, having these as elected positions because people are able to throw people out if they're unhappy.
3: That's the beautiful thing about a democracy, and as you, we were speaking in an earlier segment, I just got back from China, and everything they would say was, well, the government has decided, the government has this, the government has that, and they they, they they, love their country, they hate their government. They can't even vote for government. I left my Georgia sticker, my election sticker on my coat and walked around, because I wanted people to be able to see, what's that? Well, I actually vote for my representatives. Wow. Souris, so let me go to you. Uh, Justin used this word "NOx,"
2: and uh, and I mean, you're the resident scientist in the room here, so we're gonna we're gonna ask you about NOx, about what it is and why it's bad. Yeah,
6: NOx is uh, short for nitrous oxide. It's one of the uh, EPA six criteria pollutants.
2: And uh, did you say nitrous or nitrogen? It, uh, nitrogen it, oxide. Yeah. So, nitrogen is the stuff glass. I did. Yes, at the yes. Den, no, no. At the dentist, right? Sitting next to John, I just feel gas? the effects of laughter. So, nitrogen oxide. Nitrogen
6: oxide. Uh-huh. Um, and it's one of the six criteria pollutants uh, that Justin was referring to uh, created by uh, internal combustion engines.
3: Infernal combustion engines. Uh, uh,
6: uh, no comment. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's, you know, my personal experience with this. I moved to Atlanta in 2003, and we were in the depths of. Are uh, low air quality, our poor air quality. I yeah. came from a uh, Delaware, which is a very suburban place, and didn't have a lot of that sort hoity of pollution. Um, well, you know, uh, but I nice. felt it. I felt you it personally. I, I, mean, felt it, I felt it. I felt it personally. I would. I would. In July, there would be a week when I couldn't talk. I would just cough. The, oh the entire Lord. week, wow. because I was adjusting to the different air quality here in Atlanta, and it has gotten better. Wow. It, we are making progress with that. And I think wow. uh, electric vehicles and electric transportation are going to be the next step we take in
2: furthering uh, the important. progress. How important do you think that decision to convert <laughs> Plant McDonough, which was a 500- megawatt coal plant there mm-hmm. in vinings not too far from your house. It was right John. across the yes, right across yeah. the river from my house. How, how important, yeah. Sars, do you think it was in terms of air quality? Closing that plant that ran continually, mm-hmm. converting it to to clean natural gas.
6: Yeah, absolutely. That I mean, coal is also another source of these pollutants, Um, and so we're we're taking a lot of steps here in the metro area. Uh, uh, So converting power plants, uh, which we've seen a wave of, and we discussed in an earlier segment, uh, to cleaner burning fuels or zero emitting fuels, uh, is really important uh, to Atlanta. So a little
3: bit of draw on that one. That was a five hundred megawatt coal. Bad, no question. And it was an old plant. Worse, but this new one was like two thousand or three thousand megawatts. So we just twenty five hundred. 2500 boom. 2,500 megawatts so you five-fold increase. What's the net emissions difference though is like is that a, is it a good thing or a bad thing?
2: Yeah so if, if you will go to my Twitter feed at Tim Eccles, I'm having a discussion with some folks about that okay. actually Great. about that particular plant and about uh, and actually the folks uh, you know in the conversation are with the Sierra Club. Uh, one of their officers over in Alabama. So we're kind of discussion discussing that. So if you want to know more, I'd invite you to our, uh, to my Twitter feed at Tim Eccles. John, what's your Twitter feed? While we're on this, uh,
3: at New Energy Guy.
2: Yeah, Justin, mm-hmm.
3: how about how about you?
0: Mine is J S T N Bright Heart. Bright like the sun, harp like the musical instrument. Okay, we, we withdraw All right, the and question. Cyrus, how about uh, where are you at on Twitter?
6: <laughs> I am at Cyrus homie, Homi, H-O-M-I, on Twitter.
0: Yeah. You're my kind
2: of homie. Yeah. So, you know, John, you just got back from China just in our last in our last uh, minute here. There are a lot of uncontrolled plants over there. All of our plants in Georgia have pollution yeah. controls on them. But oh, yeah. when you look at a coal plant in China, you see a lot of particulate matter. Oh, yeah, out you don't have to look at a coal plant.
3: Yeah. I, I'm not kidding you. The first time I ever landed in China was in Shanghai. It was an overcast day. Somebody picked me up, and I said, oh, "Is it is it overcast like this a lot?" I mean, I thought it was rain was imminent. They said, "No, this is like this all the time." And it happened in Xinjiang just the other day. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Rain's coming, right?" It's overcast. Rain's coming. It was smog. Wow.
2: Well, we're making improvements in it in Atlanta certainly, and as we tee up things at the Georgia Public Service Commission, we. We do every three years. We plan out our our energy portfolio for, for the next 20 years. IRP. Yep, yeah, the IRP. Well, this has been a great episode. We appreciate you tuning in. We'd love to have you follow us on Twitter. Just use the hashtag, Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of your show, and we welcome you to join us uh, each week as we talk about technology, as we talk about saving money, and we talk a- about ways to make your life more sustainable.